Hello and welcome to the Every Woman podcast. I'm your host, Anna. And every month we'll be bringing you the stories, insights and opinions of inspiring people in business on a wide range of topics, asking the questions you want the answers to and doubtless prompting some more in the process. We're here today at City Football Academy in Manchester, talking to the head of women's football for Manchester City, Gavin Makel, about the rise of women's football and why it's now big business. So welcome, Gavin. Thank you. Women's football. <laughs> it's big now. <laughs> yeah, it's it's um, yeah, it's been a, a crazy journey, really. Um, you know, we we've been in operation as Manchester City Women for coming up to six years now, and in that time period, you know, had someone asked me then what where the game is now, I would have I would not have dreamt it to be honest. And it's it's been a little bit like running on a escalator a lot of the time, um, trying to catch up. There's been a lot of change. Um, good and maybe not so good at times, but there's been a lot of learnings had, and I think you know it's the women's game in this country and and globally actually for that for that matter is probably in the best place it's it's ever been really for sure. Um, it's obviously come to the forefront of most people's minds with the Women's World Cup this year, but what's been the biggest accelerant in that six year? passage of time what what do you think has really pushed women's football is it the world cup or i mean presumably it started a, a little bit behind that yeah I, th- I think there's been a number of what you would call i guess tentpole moments in in that time period i think um you know you you look back to the 2012 olympics where we had team gb and you know the the women's team there they they played it in front of 90,000 people at at wembley against uh, brazil i think it was that obviously obviously captured a lot of people's imagination. I think mm. um, the way that the men's games evolved over over the years, there was a there was a natural evolution for I think the women's game to evolve um, at the same time with that as well as as people's behaviours, attitudes, um, perceptions started to change as well. Um, so the, the thing, events like the Olympics and and obviously the World Cup, whether that was in twenty fifteen in Canada or or the one just gone. They can obviously help to elevate um, its 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 interest, really. But I think in in this country in particular, and in and in some in clubs in Europe as well, in the likes in uh, Germany and Spain and, and France in particular, the clubs have started to invest heavily and take it seriously. And, mm. and when I say invest, I don't just mean that from a financial perspective. You know, this is um, this has been about giving the players a resource to be professional footballers and previously they they weren't able to do that you know they were they were paying themselves to play and and working in other jobs and not recovering properly and that meant that the gap between the likes of the US players or even Sweden and Germany maybe at that time was quite far mm. um and the fact like clubs like ourselves and and others in our league, Arsenal, Chelsea, et cetera, you know, we've we've all invested resource and, and professionalized the game. And I think that's that's been a, a big, big change. Because it used to be the US was the place that women would go to play football that wasn't basically amateur. Yeah. Um I remember the Bend It Like Beckham's the famous film. Yeah. Whenever that was, two thousand and oh, I something, don't know. a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and the US aren't really even a big Soccer nation, are they? I mean, why is it taking us so long 
to catch up with this? And, you know, has it been a steady momentum? You, you, you're saying about these tent poles. It's obviously been a sort of a grinding gear to get to this point rather than a tipping point. Yeah, it has, it has been a steady, steady momentum, I guess, over the last, again, over the last six years or so. Or, or a little bit before that when, you know, when the WSL actually started and, and the FA rebranded the whole whole league and obviously had a strategy behind wanting to invest in, in the women's game. I, I think that the, the reason we get, we talk about this a lot, you know, the, the reasons why the women, the women's game is so big in the US is it's, it's historical, you know, it's, you know, the, the Mia Hams of the world and, and, and in the US it's been a lot more um, accepted as a sport and actually mm. being thought of as a, as a female sport historically because of the it's likes of baseball, basketball, American football taking priority. Um, and it's a route for, for young women to get a full-time scholarship in, in colleges as well. So there's a, there's an incentive for, mm. for, for girls to want to play throughout their young adolescence to, to get, a, you know, an education and, and carry on playing. Here, we've not necessarily had that incentive because we've not had the role models. We've not had clubs investing in the professionalization of the sport. So they don't see it as a, a legitimate career pathway. Mm. Um, but now that's changed and, you know, I think people are starting to see that. And, you know, the US, obviously, they just won the World Cup, but, you know, the other European nations are, are catching up with them it's very, very, soon, very quickly. Surely. <laughs> we were close, weren't we? Yeah, yeah. No, they, they, they did themselves proud no, ma no matter what. You know, they. I think the one thing you can say about, you know, the national team is that they they always go out and, and you know, play for the shirt and play for the, the, the country, really. Mm. And that's always really pleasing to see. But I mean, America, as you said, the American women's team has this legacy. They have a legacy of being taken seriously, mm. which perhaps we're, you know, the next World Cup, we will have that that behind us and, you know, that will sort of gear us forward. But let's talk about the transition here specifically at Manchester City. I mean, you have, as you said, notably and strategically invested in your women's side. So tell me a little bit about how long have you been here? So I've actually been at the club um, nearly 13 years, I think. Right. So I've seen a lot of change. But, so, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but not in women's football. But I, No, not at first I, I was working in our, in our foundation, our community foundation. Mm -hmm. Um, and and then moved up as within within that area of the business and um, women's and girls football was a small part of my remit then and then I was asked to go um, to a meeting with the FA um, to talk about entering a team into the WSL and yeah I was tasked with pulling the application together and then I was asked to do take on the role and that was uh, six years ago yeah so you've been you're there at the pivot yeah basically yeah, so yeah. you're the person perfect person to ask you know <laughs> why and how and you know talk to me a little bit about the rationale behind that and, and how you are moving women's uh, football forward I think for uh, for us you know that having integrating the women's team in house was uh was the next step in in the evolution of our football club you know we it hadn't been long um under the new ownership at that point as well you know things were going well within uh, the men's the men's side of things you know the, they just won the premier league for the first time in the in the history and you know we've always been seen manchester city have always been seen as as a community club and being able to provide football for for every part of the community, whether you're male, female, you know, every ethnicity, disabilities, etc. That's that's kind of what we that's how the values of what we've grown up as. Mm. And um it was it was natural for us to bring the women's team in house because they had been gone since nineteen eighty eight and 
had been set up through our through our community foundation then. Mm. Um, but again, it was very much a grassroots a grassroots program, and and I think so. There's that side of it, but then there's also the side of that. This is an area where we we thought we'd see the biggest area of growth within the game, um, offering football to maybe people who not necessarily engaged on the men's side. So it opens up a different demographic of, of audience to us, you know, because it is a very different audience, the people that come to watch women's and, and men's football. That's interesting. I was um, not going to ask you that until much later. But <laughs> <laughs> so who's the audience for women's football? Well, I think we spent a lot of time, and again, historically in, in women's sport, I think people have always thought that it's geared towards young girls mm. and and a family audience. And and that is partly that is partly true. But for us to be able to fill stadia, um, or in any in any female sport, you've got to, you've got a bit think a bit more broader than that. Mm. Um, and I think some of our research suggests that actually it, there's a lot more, um, you know, that I, I'd guess twenty five to thirty four year olds who are a lot more interested in in women's sport in general, um, and and a, and a fifty fifty gender split as well, because people automatically assume that it's female sports, so then it's women that are the most interested when actually. It's not. No. I think there was some statistic about Wimbledon women's final as well. That's the broad the TV audience is around 60% male. So it shows that actually it doesn't matter what sport it is, whether it's male or female, whether it's tennis, whether it's football, if you're putting on a, a product that is high level and elite and it's interesting to watch, people will watch it. People will watch it. I mean, because there was that that sort of argument, wasn't there, that people didn't want to watch women's football on TV. Yeah. But then it was a chicken and egg because it wasn't being shown. And I'm sure there are many other factors within that, you know, the quality of the play, et cetera, et cetera. But yes, I mean, do you think that that played a, a big part in the fact that it is now getting so much more visible? You know, people can actually, of both genders, I mean, my my husband loves women's football he you know he talks to me about it I'm you know unaware <laughs> of it and I was saying to uh to uh, my colleague we uh, you know I heard after the world cup I was sort of earwigging conversations on the street and I remember these two men just very you know what you would consider to be just football fans talking about a women's game but without even talking about the fact they were women, they were just talking about the football that they were playing. And I thought, that's really interesting. That's a big change. It is. And, that, and that's about, it is about normalising it. Mm. And, you know, when when we brought the women's team in-house here and we changed the name from, from ladies to women. Yes. And, you know, we integrated our marketing campaigns. We, we integrated our social media channels. We have this campaign, Same City, Same Passion, which show, you know, it, which is our belief that it's not men's football. It's not women's football. It's, it's just, just football. football. And, that, mm. and that's what it is. So when you start to normalize things, then it starts to get ingrained in people's, um, kind of conscious really. Mm. And I think that's, that's, it might not be this generation where we'll start to see the biggest jump it might be the next generation everyone talks about the millennials and then the gen z's who are a lot more open to gender e equality and don't see a difference between him and her there they will probably be the future women's football fans yeah is my is my belief because they are a lot more open-minded to to new things like that where we're working off of you know 60 years of the women's game being banned in this in this country and you know, we got it knows. banned. Yeah, yeah. So no, after, I did not know that. What, so yeah, by so whom? After, after by the FA. <laughs> really? Yeah. So, so after, oh, after no, the no war, no wonder they weren't showing it on telly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So d during the war, really, uh, right. World War Two, they 
they um, they they banned women's football, and at that time, you know, they were getting attendances of sixty, seventy thousand. And uh, do you know? I think I have read yeah, about that. Yes. So, and and then it wasn't until I think the late seventies is is when they when they started to allow women's football to play on FA affiliated pitches. Um, so we're already a hundred years behind where the men's men's game is. So mm. I think where we could have been now if it hadn't been banned. But you know, you know, that's that's happened on. We've got to look forward now. That was the past, and the past is the past. And we're obviously making quite speedy gains now. You know, yeah. there's nothing like an idea whose time has come to get on the pitch. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to come back to the to the renaming because again, that's part of that perception rebalancing so you know you changed your name from manchester ladies manchester city ladies manchester city ladies to manchester women's football club yeah manchester city women yeah yes exactly so that use of ladies and women and you are you know i think you were one of the first to to actually make that semantic change Mm. uh i think pretty much everyone's made that change now why was that so important and and how does the way that we talk about women's sport affect the way that it's perceived I mean, yeah, there's there's two varying views. I mean, some people don't see it as a, you know, a, a, any kind of priority, whether it's ladies or women. They, you know, some people just think it's just sport. Regardless, for us, I think we we changed it because ladies, I guess, has a certain connotation behind it. That you know, it's you, polite, isn't it? Yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> it, we don't call it the gentleman's game. No, that's and you know, true. It, it gives maybe a a picture in your mind of eating cake and drinking tea and. Yeah. Very old fashioned, I guess, in, in some respect. Um, and we wanted to celebrate the fact that these, you know, our players are role models. They're, they're strong individuals and athletic. And we felt the, the word woman was a, was a much more, um, appropriate word to be able to, to push that message out really. And it mm. did influence, you know, how we, how we give them their, their own identity that was very much linked with the Manchester City brand. Mm. Um, but also it, it said something about who they were, how, who they were and, and how times were changing and how people were starting to talk about women's sport mm. and women's athletes, really. Because the word, I suppose the word lady is slightly pejorative and it's to move away from that sort mm. of uh, amateur hour Well, it is. And, you know, if the, if the, if our main object, one of our main objectives, and it still is, is around changing perceptions and changing hearts and minds and, and all that great stuff that Billie Jean King did with, you know, with yeah. women's tennis back in, back in the day that it's about changing those people's minds. And if you have a, a and, and rightly or wrongly, you know, the, the word ladies in some people's mind, particularly the hardcore football fan might have a negative perception of what the actual game mm. looks like, you know, and again, that's another reason why we changed it to women, because again, we wanted to showcase it as being a high spectacle of, of sport. Mm. I mean, let's talk about the actual the game itself. Um, is there a difference between the male game and the female game on the pitch? I mean, yeah. You said that, you know, there shouldn't be, a, there shouldn't be one in people's minds, but what, what is the difference? Yeah, there, there is, there is, there is a difference. I mean, you can't, you can't get away from that, but, and the differences are biological, really, you mm. know, the, the physicality of the, of the game is, is there, you know, you can see it. Okay. The men's game might be quicker. Mm-hmm. It might be more, it might be more physical. But you can't compare the two. You can't, mm-hmm. it's not like for like. You can't say that, um, you know, a passage of play wasn't as good in the women's game because in the men's game, they can do it 
five seconds faster as, as an example. Mm. It's not maybe not a good one, but as an example. But when you take it at a comparison, you just compare it within its own mm. sport, in its own right, then you can actually start to open your mind and free it into thinking actually, again, this is this is high level elite sport here that yeah. I'm watching. And that's where that's where people fall down really, because they come they're continuously comparing it to the to the men's game. And you can't it, it is football and it will always be football. We have the same number of players. We have the s- same rules. You know, we have playing more or less the same competitions. Mm-hmm. Um, just obviously a women's version. Um, but the two, the two sports are not necessarily comparative in, in, in terms of the product on the pitch. That's, a, I mean, it is a really interesting, um, point that, you know, a woman's version of something in inverted commas doesn't necessarily have to mean it's a lesser version exactly. of something. It's just a different version. I'm trying to remember what somebody said to me about, I think the, the passing in the women's game is very different. It's quite exciting. Uh, I, I mean, this is where my, my football knowledge falls <laughs> down. But I remember I remember being told while the World Cup was going on, I, you know, I would listen to what people were saying. And there was definitely this, this idea that the game was interesting to watch in its own right. And it yeah. had merits that actually sometimes the men's game didn't have quite so much of. Yeah, 100%. I mean, the levels increased massively. And that again, that goes back to what I was saying at the beginning the about the investment yeah. in resources and, and professionalization of the, of the sport, because that's meant that's driven the product up mm-hmm. 100%. These, you know, these, these players are now living and breathing football, whereas before they were having to think about other things outside of the game. Um, and, and you're seeing that, you're seeing that reward and, you know, the, the World Cup in, in France was a perfect, perfect example of that. Uh, and, and I think the women's game, for a fan's perspective, it's a it's a little bit like uh, maybe what the men's game was thirty years ago, or, or maybe less than that, twenty twenty five years ago. Mm-hmm. In the sense, not necessarily on the pitch, but in the sense that there's not as much, shall I say, it diving, rolling around, theatrics. Yes. <laughs> um, there's a there's an IP involved in women's sport that's that we we really need to to keep hold of and that's the engagement with fans and you know, the players will sign autographs straight after the game take mm-hmm. selfies and instantly connecting with people and mm-hmm. for us to grow the game that that connection that emotional connection needs to continue as well because we we want people to continue to care mm-hmm. about it um and if you know a, a young girl or a young boy gets a photograph with a, a steph horton you know that they're, they're going away mm-hmm. thinking i've just met england captain and yeah yeah. Manchester City's captain. I mean, we're obviously here at the academy and I've just seen the the footballers of the future going off to stretch and whatever they're doing. But you talked a little bit about role models and Steph Horton is obviously this fantastic figure now for young women. In terms of fostering those sort of connections, how do you encourage the young women, young girls of tomorrow. Is there a, that you've got the integration here of the male and female side, but have you also got the integration of the teams and the academy as well? And yeah. how important is that for the girls coming up? Yeah, it is. I mean, I mean the, the, we have a girls academy, so we have girls from under 10 right the way through to kind of under 19 before they hit first team level really. And they'll see the players, you know, because they they come in for training, and now and the first mm. team players might be just leaving, or they might be actually staying behind to watch some of them train, etc. And our girls' academy players will be ball mascots for the game, or or ball kids for the game, for the women's games. But they'll continuously get in that touching mm. point with them, and and people like Steph and and the Jill Scotts, the Karen Barsley, who you know they've. They've been involved in the game before it is what it is now. You know, they remember what it was like changing in 
toilets and playing on poor pitches and facilities, having to wash their kit straight after the game because they've got training the next day, all of that kind of stuff. The young girls that we have in our academy system now, this is what they know here. They'll never be changing. They don't know any different. And we have a, we have a responsibility as a club and and as, as people working here to make sure that we, we, we put the bumps in the road for these players so that they will have those ups and downs because it's all football and being an athlete, it's all about resilience Mm. for me. You know, there's going to be times in your career when things go well and there's going to be times in your career when things don't go so well. So we've got to prepare players um, for when they hit that kind of stage and and give them hurdles to to overcome. And and that's one of the challenges, as I say, from being in a fantastic facility as this. Um, But it's a nice challenge to have. Let's talk about the the commercial piece and, and money. I mean, football is big business. Is women's football ever going to be on a par with men's in terms of that? The the, the flowing of money. I mean, I was, I was going to ask you, you were saying about, you know, men's football so 30, 40 years ago when perhaps there wasn't the amount of money sloshing around that there is now, the ridiculous transfer fees and everything. And the women's game, I would imagine, still has that slight excitement of being a little bit closer to, gr- to grassroots. Mm. How do you see that playing out, and, uh, you know, the, the commercial side of it? Um, I mean, there's definitely been some some change. We, we are seeing, I guess, more interest from commercial partners mm-hmm. and people wanting to to be involved in, in the sport. Um, I think that's because society is starting to dictate that a little bit and it's, you know, mm. the, the gender, I guess, equality piece, if you like, is is a hot topic of conversation for a lot of a lot of people and a lot of businesses. So people want to see how they can, um, how can they, how they can be involved in it really. But also I I guess how they can make a difference. You know, we're very fortunate with all of our partners that are are involved with the women's team. They're they're all really passionate and enthusiastic to help drive change as well. You know, Mm. Hayes, uh, Etihad, Nissan, they've all been Gatorade. You know, they've all, they all see like what we saw that this is the next evolution of the game. This is where the biggest area of growth is in the game. Mm-hmm. And they want to be at the forefront of that as well. Is the game going commercially as quick as it is in other areas? No. No. Is is the honest is the honest answer. You know, attendances are still relatively low. Yes, we had we had thirty two thousand nearly at in the Etihad Stadium when we played in the in the Derby a few weeks ago and you know there was similar attendance at Stamford Bridge for Chelsea and um and West Ham at the weekend. But, you know, when you go back to your um everyday kind of fixture list, mm. it's still a, a a challenge, shall I say, to to fill a seven thousand capacity academy stadium where we play our normal games. That is still a big challenge and that is the next challenge for us that we have to fill that stadium. Um and and I think what when you were talking about temporal moments earlier, what we've got to be really careful of for me and in, in women's game is that it doesn't become an Olympic sport. And what I mean by that is that we only talk about it every four years when there's a World Cup come, right. come around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That the day to day development of the game is happening within the club structures. Mm, and that's mm. not just here, that's across Europe and, and the rest and the rest of the world. Because that's where the players having their touch points day to day and it's very easy for a nation to get behind you know a, anyone doing anything for the yeah, yeah, yeah I, again yeah. I, I, someone, <laughs> I, someone asked me about this a couple of years ago and I often talk about 
um, Lizzie Arnold, you know, who won Skeleton at the mm. Winter Olympics. Oh, yes, the, yeah, two years, yeah. Two, uh, we were two all tea tray enthusiasts yeah. at that point, weren't we? <laughs> two Winter Olympics running and what a fan, an unbelievable achievement, achievement for her. Mm. But have we ever heard of Bob Skeleton since? since? No. No, <laughs> no it's And we true. probably won't until the next Winter Olympics. And that, and I don't think, you know, football's such a big sport anyway. I don't think we'll, that'll be the case, but we've got to be really careful that, as I say, that just, People don't just get excited about it when it comes to a Euros or an Olympics or a World Cup. There are clubs investing and working really, really hard to try and elevate mm. elevate the game. And, you know, we need people to realise that they need to go and support their, lo- their local team, whoever that, that might be. Well, I was going to say to you, yeah, I mean, to stop it being a sort of a novelty. Yeah. I mean, football is woven into, you know, the, the fabric of this country and, and your sort of devotion to your team. Everyone has a team, if they even if they don't really watch football. Mm. I know what my team is. Yeah. Um, do people have you know, have people got to that point with women's teams yet? Maybe not, and maybe that's no. I, I, there are some, hundred uh, percent. Mm. You know, we have a we have a a real passionate, um, vocal supporters club for the women's team who travel mm. everywhere, home and away, abroad when we're in Champions League, etc. And you know, they are they are Manchester City fans through and through and through but some of them are have just come on board because they they liked Manchester City women the, the women's game really you know, not necessarily men's yeah, yeah, supporters yeah. of the men's side but they've they come on board because they they like the whole thing around um, the women's team mm. a large proportion are men's fans as well as women's okay um so they are you know they are as I say they are kind of our advocates our fan advocates but it goes back to what I was saying before about the millennials and the, and the gen Z you know you mentioned you you grew up you know who your team is I grew up knowing who who my team is and had a very very early connection with them you know it's five six seven years old that lives with you the whole Forever. of your life yeah it does oh it's because of a, a dad a brother a sister whoever it might mm. be and I don't think we've been able to necessarily have that with women's football just yet and that's why I that's why I said I think it's for the next generation and maybe the generation after that because they are having that engagement now. So those five, six, seven-year-olds who are coming to women's football because it's affordable as well, but they're also getting that human connection with the players. I think those are the ones that will emotionally connect with the game Mm. and will help drive it on in in the future. They'll say, I'm I'm an Arsenal ladies fan of Manchester because my mum was or, you know, my gran was or, yeah. And that it's that kind of, yeah, normalisation that stops it from becoming this novelty factor. Yeah, exactly. Um, Let me just go back to ask you a bit more about actually partnerships and sponsorship. What kind of response are you getting? Obviously you said that businesses are beginning to see that this is, this is an area for growth. But are there differences in the way that the sponsorship and partnerships are being formed in women's football as opposed to men's? Um, uh, yes, probably. I think it comes down to um, what your key assets might be. Um, obviously, if you're looking at the Premier League, you know, the, the because it's such a global beast, if you like, and, you know, everyone around the world is watching the Premier League. The assets there that are, are probably very much um, in your face, or so, like LED, and you know what can you sell into broadcasters that's going to have a global reach and things like that. Whereas mm. I think on the women's side, our our, our probably biggest asset because of the attendances, it's not as where we want them to be just yet, or um, the broadcasting is not exactly. Although it's improved massively, it's not again where we want it to be just yet. 
is probably our players. They are our biggest asset. So mm-hmm. partners are m- a lot more interested in telling a story through our player and doing a lot more maybe content type mm-hmm. type work. Um, and a good example of that is actually we we ran a campaign with Hayes um, last two years ago, I think it was now. It was the campaign for that year. It was around CVs and LinkedIn is obviously Hayes' biggest mm-hmm. kind of platform. Um, and it was a CV of, of three of our players and they've got interest in CVs because they've been at university, they've mm. done this job, this job. And that, the reach and engagement impressions that that got was a lot bigger than the same campaign with a couple of our men's players. Because they just come in to because play, they're, start they're, playing football at yeah, 17. So it, it's and, for, yeah. for the regular person who's who's reading it and looking at CVs and, and how to structure a CV, that's not necessarily relatable because that, that's almost like a, a pipe dream. Yeah. But with the women's CV, you can actually see a real career pathway yeah. there. Um, and that was, you know, that was a real successful, successful campaign for both us and, and here. So and a good example of us working together and showcasing women's sport in the right way in front of the right audience and make, making it relatable. So I'd say that those are, those are probably the, the bigger, the, 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 the two differences in, in where, when you're selling to partners is mm-hmm. that it might be a bit more as I say, in your face brand assets for the, for the men's game. Although I think that's slightly changing a bit and the women's side, it's probably a lot more content than telling the stories because yeah. we, need, we need to build the, the players profiles as well. But how do you, how do you keep that human profile with increasing, you know, professionalism and, you know, there will come a point where I presume all your women players will come up through an academy and they won't been to university or done anything. They will just come into the academy and, and play and go through the ranks like a lot of the men do. <laughs> Uh, that again, that, that's a challenge for for us, and that we uh, and, and responsibility for us. And you know, as long as as long as I'm here, and as long as the staff that are still here, you know, we, it's up to us to you know to pass that torch on wherever wherever we um, we might leave. But it's a huge um, value piece for me that, particularly the education of of all of our players, even first team players, that they're making sure that they got get some level of education because. Mm. They're not always going to be football players and they're not always going to be able to retire on what they've made as a, as a player. Mm. Um, and, I, and I think we're, we're a long, long, long way away from getting to the levels of what's involved in the men's game. But again, it goes back to me saying we shouldn't compare the two. No, absolutely. They are entities under one beautiful game. Yeah. Couple more questions and I'll, I'll let you get back to, to nurturing the next generation. <laughs> but I mean, for you, what's the biggest Opportunity. What's the thing that excites you most about women's football in say the next five years, ten years? Um, you know, it's 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 very difficult. I, I think we've 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 set ourselves some real targets and goals over the last five years, and we've achieved majority of them. I would say, if not all of them. Mm. Where can we take it next? I think the playing in the Etihad for the for the derby was was an unbelievable moment. To have that amount of people in, you know, and it sounds strange when I'm saying, but we want to sell out the academy stadium, which is only 7,000. But when we've had an audience of 32, Mm. that for me is the next, the next big thing that we need to, we need to crack because I think they, people will come for those big events. They will come out in force for, it was Mm -hmm. a Manchester derby, the first in the professional era of the game, played at the Etihad. It was a men's international break, so there was no men's football to kind of compete against. There was a lot of things that were going for us for why people would come. Yeah. But then on a week-to-week basis when 
everything Premier League's up and running, Championships up and running. City might be playing, the men's might be playing on the Saturday, we're playing on the Sunday. Everyone's trying to fight for the same people to come, mm. not just in sport, but theatres, entertainment businesses, other Everyone sports. Everyone wants the attention, don't yeah. they? Yeah. <laughs> so we've got, we've got, we've got to break that. We do. Um, I think we also, we probably need to move towards um, a, a new broadcasting kind of strategy as well. You know, whether mm. that's free to air, OTT, um, just so there's more eyeballs on, on the game. Because mm. uh, research shows that actually that doesn't take away from your attendance, actually helps to increase it because mm. it puts it in the spotlight a bit more and gives it that fear of missing out vibe yeah. as well. Um, where can the, you know, for us, we just want to, as a club, we want to continue to be successful domestically. We've done that. We've won six trophies in five years. Mm-hmm. We want to tr- try and, and keep going in the Champions League and have a good crack at that over the next few years. Um, and, and, you know, I, and I, I really want to see some development of our young players coming through the system as well. Our Girls Academy's only been in operation for three years. So the next three years is, is where we'll get a real idea of who's coming right the way through. We've had good successes of girls who've been with us since 16 mm-hmm. and have gone on now and playing for England seniors like Georgia Stanway, Kira Walsh, mm-hmm. um, Ellie Roebuck. But, you know, a, a really key success will be, I think, in three years' time, we'll see how many of the crop of 14-year-olds now will be a part of our first team. Will now, become. Yeah. Okay. Message to the next generation of female footballers? Um, keep, keep working. I mean, you know, that, I mean, I'm probably not the best person to, you probably want to ask someone like Steph that really. <laughs> um, I, I guess the, the biggest, the biggest thing that, um, if I, if I was to leave here at any point you know, in the future, the, the biggest thing that I could leave here and, and be really proud of is that we've put a pathway in place. We've put in a, you know, I grew up as a, as a football fan, had, had the dream of, of, uh, I'll not tell you which, which team, but you might hear it in my afterwards. voice. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I had the dream of playing for a, a professional footballer, you know, mm. and that dream could have, could have been a reality. You know, there's obviously only a small percentage of people who get mm. to live that dream, but that dream didn't even exist in, for, for young girls up until maybe three, four years ago. Mm. And now, you know, young girls can pull on a Steph Hill and an Ellen White, Georgia Stanway shirt at six, seven, eight years old and, and have that dream of becoming a professional player. And that's why them being role models and, and everything we do in terms of raising their profile and professionalizing the game is so important. Mm-hmm. So dream big. So there is a dream out there now that didn't exist before. Go out and get that dream. Gavin, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.